Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. Nebraska is 0-2. The sky is falling. Gentlemen, what say you? Uh, this, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I never know how I'm starting this thing off. It's great. Uh, I'm, everything's fine, you know? My mic <laughs> is working. Everything's fine. <laughs> He's just sitting in the kitchen, fire surrounding him. VC mm-hmm. doesn't care. Nothing to see here. Uh, Maybe the boys show up to Ann Arbor with a little jolt in their step, and Adrian Martinez looks like the Heisman Trophy winner, and all's well by two uh, thirty on Saturday afternoon. Wow! Or three, they could get three thirty local time. Yeah, oh, that's true. Thanks for throwing that's a good that. Good point. Yep. Very important. I was I was going to mention uh, Bruns was talking about it just before we went on air that Elvis Gerbach is the name I say for the mic test, and he said it was actually appropriate this week since they're playing Michigan. It is. It's very timely. Elvis Gerbach. Favorite Michigan quarterback, Elvis Gerbach? You got a favorite Michigan quarterback? Uh, probably Drew Henson Oh, mm-hmm. for his outstanding ability to fail in both professional sports not particularly be that great while playing college. Well, I have lots of favorite Michigan quarterbacks. You have Tate Forcier, who won the Heisman after two Shane games. Morris then lost it. Shane Morris is my favorite. What is that? Shane Morris is my favorite. Yeah, I mean, the, the Michigan quarterback hype machine has just been unprecedented from about the early 2000s on. Chad Henney was the greatest quarterback anybody had ever seen coming out of the Big Ten. He had a phenomenal NFL career. Uh, you have Shoelace Robinson, who nobody could stop except the 2013 uh, or 2012 Nebraska defense. Didn't they break his – Yeah, he, they, got, he got hurt in the second quarter. Yeah, they, they did like, sh- shut him down, though, before that. Yeah. They basically like ruined his season. Who was the backup that came into that game? Oh, Russell Bellamy. Yeah. Yeah. He had a, a Bowserman-esque Bellamy day. and Bowserman. Be a great loss. Nebraska is very good if they can get to that backup quarterback. I think that's a strategy that Scott Frost might want to look at here. They, they need to start taking the Colorado approach and just leaning on guys' knees and stuff. Is that what you're advocating? I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah. And tweet. What, what, what did the guy from Colorado tweet? I'm not listening to the. They're hating, but I'm not listening to the comments or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. That's, so, what, that's what the linebacker said? Yeah, I he tweeted that. that. He, he briefly made his Twitter account private. What are they hating on him, being a dirty player that's on film? I believe that he possibly cheated. (laughs) That's what what his issue was. Any other Michigan quarterbacks of note that we haven't gotten in yet? Todd Collins. Was Todd Collins a Michigan quarterback? Does that name ring familiar? Could have been. This this would go into the millennial discussion. There there should be a (laughs) cutoff on if you're a millennial or not based on what what a Michigan which Michigan quarterback you would name. Like if you name Elvis Gerbach, I'm I'm certainly not a millennial. Would you like to, I don't would you remember Tom, Tom Brady? I don't remember Brady at all at Michigan. Like I have no memory of Tom Brady playing at Michigan. Do you remember None. when Michigan played Virginia in like a pigskin classic game on a it was the first game of the college football season and they won eighteen to seventeen and it was a terrible game. And no, they, this they, isn't ringing any bells. They scored a touchdown on the last play. Was that Brady? Mm, I I think it was. Uh, I think it might have been Drew Henson, but I'm not ah. sure. Um, Drew Henson was a star. You'd have to look that one up. Typing away it was over about here. About a 15 yard touchdown pass as time expired, right into the Michigan band. I'll say this while Brunts fires up the stat department over there. 
Shea Patterson seems like a solid quarterback in the limited amount of times that I've watched Michigan so far this year. Yeah. Like he, he looks competent, which is generally what Harbaugh has had for his quarterback since he's been there. They haven't been particularly good. Not showing off, not falling yeah. behind. Right They're just the fine. I mean, yeah. I, I think that he'll have a fine game against Nebraska as well. I I don't know. I don't. I, I was looking, I did that rankings thing, which maybe we can get into a little bit later. And he was one of the three five-star quarterbacks or three five-star players that Michigan has on their two deep. And honestly, I mean, and it, it might take a little while, but I don't I don't know if Shea Patterson's going to be significantly better than what they've already faced in Steven Montez, in all honesty. Montez was pretty good. Yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty hot take. Is it? A little bit. I mean, I, I think if you said that nationally, people would – would. Yeah, but you're talking about Michigan quarterbacks nationally. Like, I understand. When haven't they been overhyped? No, I I agree with you. I'm just saying that that would be that would be a particularly hot take before the start of the season. I still think it would be a little a uh, little warm. Yeah. Well, and I mean Montez doesn't help himself with a five win year last year, but nonetheless, I I just I'd be surprised if I'm watching that game on Saturday thinking, yeah, this guy's the best quarterback Nebraska's faced this month. Well, that's not going to be the case because they face David Blau the next week. <laughs> we'll get to that next week. Let's not let's not get overboard about David Blau and Purdue too much. You know, I, I know that some people on this podcast, oh, perhaps and, the one talking, oh and three Purdue was uh, was talking pretty big Purdue game. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes Michigan loss or Nebraska beats Michigan, then loses to Purdue, right? Yeah, I don't uh, – Is that still what you're going yeah, with? Well, we'll see where up. I'm at with those predictions when it, <laughs> it comes time to saying things in that regard. I'm not sticking to my guns on that one. We'll put it that just way. just going to holster those. Yeah. It's going to throw that one away like that 45-14 to 14 prediction over Troy. So, Should we talk about the Troy game? Uh, we could. Which Which <laughs> part of the game would you like to discuss? I mean, there's a lot. Um, Is there? There's a lot. Okay. Well, I mean, should, offensively. Yeah, I mean, what, you're driving the boat. I'm just going in circles. He's on the jet skis. <laughs> I'm the flag man. <laughs> Got a guy in the water. Offensively, what did you see from Nebraska in that game that was disappointing? Positive and also disappointing. Not both, but. Call him A, call him B. Um, I was more disappointed than anything. And it really with the offensive line, I, I've kind of been thinking about them a lot this week. And as much as we talk about this flashy offense and all those these skill guys they're bringing in and they're upgrading speed here at running back and at, on the outside, you still got to get a third and one. You know, you still got to be able to, even if they're loading the box, have that confidence so that you can dial something up where you're going to succeed more times than not. And through the first two games, I think you could point out probably four plays, two in each game, on short yardage situations where if Nebraska gets one of those two in each game, they might be 2-0 and right now. And, uh, I mean, the numbers are good. Like, this is an offense that's in the top 20 rushing thanks to the – uh, what 329 they had against Colorado, but I don't think it looks as good on the field as it does on paper with the O line yet. Yeah, well, and, and Troy certainly. I mean, 
a lot of tackles for a loss, a lot of, you know, feast or famine type things. My biggest takeaway offensively from that game is I felt like Nebraska's play calling was maybe a little bit off early in that game. I mean, the first few possessions, it didn't look like they were giving anybody much to work with. I mean, J.D. Spielman was not to be found until, what, the second quarter when they started working horizontally and realized that you got nine guys going up the field on every play. you got to counteract that a little bit. And I mean, it's easy to sit here and second guess. I'm not going to lay it all on the feet of the, the offensive game plan. There's execution issues and everything else in there. But it felt odd that it took them as long as it did to start working other areas of the field. Frost talked about it a little bit, that they weren't comfortable running some plays or running some pass routes. And it just it felt really conservative. And I understand you've got your backup quarterback in and maybe you're not going to open everything up, but it just it felt like it hampered them a little bit, that they were kind of predictable at times and just unable to execute even some of the simple stuff that they were trying to do. It was an ugly Ugly day, I think, offensively. But even you look at the numbers, I mean, they had a better day offensively than Troy did. And Nebraska had a better day offensively than Colorado did. Is that going to be a recurring theme that we see sort of throughout the year that the offense puts up better numbers statistically but can't put up the points? Because that's what it's been a little bit the last or the first two games of the season. It it seemed like Troy was – kind of leading Nebraska towards a very specific way that Nebraska needed to execute offensively to win that game. Like they had to throw some intermediate routes to, to win that game. And Nebraska to, you know, I, I think to its detriment wasn't willing to do that. And I was, you know, I, I think Andrew Bunch, if you actually look at, you know, the, his numbers for the day played okay. I mean, he was 19 to 27. Uh, he had the, uh, he he had the two good picks. enough. I mean, he was good enough that I think that they could have gotten the right result had a few other things gone their way. Right. But that's, I mean, that's Nebraska in a nutshell for about 20 years now. The problem with them out yarding teams, though, is, I mean, you, you when you're turning around and giving back, you know, 100 yards and penalties, you're, you're losing the field position game. You give up a punt return for a touchdown. I mean, it's, they're out yarding teams, but, you know, the, there's, I guess kind of other facets of the game that they're really kind of whittling away. I think it, you know, what they're actually doing there. The, the thing, you know, going forward, that's going to be interesting is, you know, that, that offensive line, I felt like took a big step back. I mean, it, it almost kind of felt a little bit like 2014 where Amir Abdullah was getting rushing yards in spite of the offensive line a little bit. Um, on, it's kind of similar on Saturday where, Who's Amir Abdullah in this situation? Mo Washington. Oh, wow. You bounce it outside. I mean, he, he made... He's going to be speaking at the Big Ten luncheon here in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> be all right. <laughs> He's got a compelling story, that's for sure. Yeah, oh, no, no doubt about it. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, you know, the offensive line, and, and it doesn't have... They don't have ton of, tons of options there. I mean, they basically have Bo Wilson that they can rotate in. Do we see more Tanner Farmer? at center with Bo Wilson at guard and, and maybe move Cole Conrad out. I mean, that seemed to me to be Nebraska's best five on Saturday against Troy. And, you know, you, you're going to have to kind of pick the pieces up against what's a pretty good Michigan front seven. This staff's got to hit recruiting. I mean, they've got to have some big hits when it comes to their O-line recruits. The guys they bring in 
have to be successes because that I mean Greg Austin talking after practice today he basically as Brunt said there's Bo Wilson and then he doesn't feel comfortable with any of the other backups at this point yet and then you're talking about an O-line that next year um you know Foster's gone Farmer's gone Conrad's gone so there's three of your six are gone right there so uh that's where over the next two and a half months as much as we talk about adrian martinez and how much he grows into the job you want to see some old linemen take some big steps and guy and i'm talking about the guys who are coming back um especially Kymus, yeah and Wilson then, and then maybe plays. some guy who we're not like a hunter miller i don't know who it is you know frost mentioned hunter miller and mentioned somebody else who caught me off guard the other day on the old line a walk on um Trent Hickson? Yeah, he mentioned Hickson. Um, Scott guy, right? Yeah. So you might need a guy or two like that where you feel like you can at least get them some reps by the end of the year. Yeah, they've, I mean, they've got no shortage of of issues there. Their offensive line recruiting right now, they've got three commitments, Matthew Anderson, Michael Lynn, and Desmond Bland. Bland, I think, is expected to come in and play one of those interior spots vacated by one of the seniors. Yep. Um, right. And then from there, I mean, those two guys are both line. I mean, they're, they're both tackle prospects that are probably a couple years away from where they'd be able to play. They got the hail Mary option of if they can get Bryce Benhart, then maybe he could play as a freshman. Uh, they could look the junior college route for tackles, but I just, I haven't gotten the sense that they're actually doing that much. Um, and that might be something that gets reevaluated, you know, in November where they can look at some of the film and, and see what's out there. There's another offensive lineman, uh, Zach Ingram, that they hosted from Butler Community College during the summer. That's an interior guy that they've continued to keep tabs on as well. So there's, there's people out there. Uh, it's interesting that you say that because I look at Nebraska and, and you know, there's been a lot of talk this week about who's ultimately at blame for – where some of their roster holes are. I mean, it doesn't matter which previous coaching staff you want to use. The offensive line has just never been built up. I mean, it dropped off pretty severely. I'm thinking about the year that, I mean, you basically, when you lost, was it 2013 when they lost Searles and Quali and those guys? Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the drop from that point, and people weren't even particularly thrilled with that offensive line, if I recall, but you have several NFL players in there, to where – they produced from 2014 on has not been particularly good. And then the recruiting, if you go through and look, I mean, there's a lot of misses in there too. You have several starters in Farmer and Foster, Nick Gates, uh, Brandon Hymas, you know, Matt Farniak, but just not a lot of depth. Not, not like a lot all of, Big Ten guys yeah. either. Yeah, none of them. Not a single all Big Ten And then Ten there's guy confusing situations through the years like a Zach Sterrup, for instance, who – you know, looks the part and is a big recruit and is still making it in the NFL, but didn't make it at Nebraska big for some reason. Um, yeah. And those those are where it, it's kind of befuddling. As we were taught, as you were listing off some of the recruits, I was thinking, you know, if you told me make a list of most important recruits in this class right now, I'd probably put Desmond Bland number one. I really would. I, oh, I, the commitments? Yeah, just because of his – I. The need Is it for the Terminator his... handle on Twitter that really gets you kind of fired well, up? Well, that but... probably helps. I didn't even actually know that, honestly. <laughs> but 
I mean, you're talking about an immediate need guy who has to be good right away and help your interior out. I would say he's a guy, and of course he's got to make sure he gets his grades in order and all that stuff, so he's here. But and his JUCO coach, you know, talked to Tom Minnick, and he thinks he's an NFL potential guy. That's a well, let's see him play a little get, few games in Nebraska before we go there, but. It's so a, not straight from Arizona Western to the, the NFL? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's the, the wisest path. Nebraska, the last time they played at Michigan in 2013, uh, Spencer Long was on their offensive line. Another good one. Oh, really? I forget good. about Spencer Long. Yeah, Spencer Long. Quali was on that line as a senior. Searles was a senior. NFL, NFL, NFL. Man. You also had Sterup was a sophomore and wasn't even playing then. Yeah. Um, I think Mike Mowdy was the other guard. Uh, that w- that started for them that year, and I'm blanking on who the other tackle would have been. That's not a bad line. Was no. Alex Lewis starting at that point? No, that would have been. He hadn't flipped anybody off before. Yet. Yeah, that was before. <laughs> um, but I mean, he that's was solid. Lewis, that, but yeah, I mean that that just kind of shows you where they're at, and and it's it's interesting with you know talking about how the rosters flipped over. Nebraska's lost a lot of guys up front. I think they only have, what, 11 scholarship offensive linemen right now mm-hmm. anyways. Um, and there's a couple of those guys that are still not even close to being in the conversation. Canty fell through in the last class. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's why it's my worry right now about the progress of building this thing. It, it, it starts with those guys. I mean, if, if people want the rainbow-in-the-sky version of events right now, the 2020 offensive line crop regionally is about as good as it's mm-hmm. going to get around here. And Nebraska has done a terrific job in building relationships with a lot of those guys, whether it's Carson Lee or Turner from Kansas, whose last name I can't remember. Corker. Right there, that. Um got the kid from South Dakota. There's a couple kids in Iowa. They had a kid from Missouri named Monroe Mills that was visiting this last weekend. So they, I think they fully acknowledge that the offensive line has to be built back up. But I also, based on some conversations, get the feeling that they really are targeting that 20. They really want to sweep kind of the region of that 20. Like they put a lot of eggs in that basket, so to speak. So that's going to be something interesting. And those guys, you know, won't be able to help you for a while. Yeah. But it is interesting. Well, this this O-line is going to have uh, its hands full Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> and that, there's a couple of defensive players. That, yeah, uh, you're, I mean, you're going against some Sunday guys from Michigan, and that's that's where this thing gets a little scary from what you've seen the first couple of weeks. And that also makes you wonder how that factors into the decision with Adrian Martinez a little bit. You know, you want – that to have that long-term view with him um, and keeping him healthy and you also need to feel like you can protect him against some guys who are going to play in, on Sunday uh, this weekend and I wonder how much that's part of it. So what you're suggesting is that they open the, the cage throw Andrew Bunch to the Lions and close the doors? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not suggesting that. If Adrian's in it, Are it, you suggesting that Martinez doesn't get on the plane on Friday? No, no, no. I th- I think he's gonna play. What do you guys think? I think he's gonna play. I think he'll play. Yeah, I mean everything. He's been practicing all week, so, and that's where this game's kind of fascinating because, in a way, 
we're in week four of the season, and yet it feels sort of like week two of Nebraska's season to me because I'm not throwing away that they lost to Troy. you got to wear that. But as far as the actual offense they want to run with the guy they want to run it, this is week two now. <laughs> and so it, it, that's why this season has been so yeah. strange so far. I was telling Brunson that in some ways it feels like a, we're covering like an NFL preseason. And it just, you know, now the actual season starts. And I know that's not the case. They're obviously an 0-2 team. What they've done the first two weeks are real. But – or two out of the first three weeks are real. But it's it's going to be fascinating. Say Martinez plays, how much do you expect that the offense looks similar to what they did against Colorado? We have no idea because yeah. that Colorado defense might be, you know, bad like it, it could have just been a great situation for nebraska and they they bungled a chance to get a win against a defense that they could easily handle that's not going to be the case with michigan where rashawn gary and and vinovich and some of those defensive linemen are really going to make life hard on their running game mm-hmm. and when you try to go back and pass and so the michigan you know putting together that look of the talent that they have on defense some of the things that's interesting to me is that rashawn gary and their defensive line really jumps out. David Long at corner jumps out. And I think there's one other defensive back that is like a mid-90s guy. Their linebackers and their other players on that defense were guys that fit right in line with what Nebraska has recruited in the past, too. So they've mm-hmm. they've done a really nice job in developing people that aren't in the upper echelon of their recruiting class that have really stepped up for them. I mean... A guy like Hudson, who's their Viper position, which basically could play on the line or off the line, can kind of do a bunch of different things. I mean, he was a, roughly the equivalent of, you know, Dedrick Young, like in terms of recruiting rankings. So the, the talent difference is very real in some areas in terms of the recruiting, and some of it is just they found pieces that really fit their defense that maybe got overlooked elsewhere in the country. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think of Nebraska defensively through the first two weeks? I mean, we've talked about the offense and their struggles, but I mean, I think defensively they've been okay. I mean, for the most part, they've been as good as I thought they could be. Really, I mean, <laughs> they've been better than I thought they would. Yeah, be. if if you had said before the season they're going to put these numbers together and play that sort of attacking style that they actually talked about, that has that was not false advertising. They are, they are that aggressive defense that Chenander talked about, and they've given up a few big plays here and there, but they also, the staff said that was going to happen too, and they could live with it if they played with that sort yeah. of attacking way, and, and they have. And the linebackers, I think, have, have been really good, and um, I think the fact that they're rotating so many guys on the D-line can help in a game like this. And I'm just really interested how they stack up against a team that has no illusions about it. It's just like they're coming at you. They're gonna. It's gonna be a Big Ten 65 degree weather day, and it's it's gonna be a Big Ten football game in so many ways. And can they ha- hang in there? So I think Nebraska's biggest advantage in this game is its front seven against Michigan's offensive line, because Michigan's offensive line hasn't been particularly good this year. Nebraska's run defense has been pretty good. Michigan doesn't have, like, the super dynamic guy that's going to hit a 70-yard run and juke out four people along the way on it. So they really – I mean, they there's no real 
like you said, I mean, they're just coming after you, and they're coming at you. And what you see is what you get from them. There's not going to be a whole lot of trickeration with what they're trying to do on offense. And so it's it's sort of similar to playing an Iowa team where you might know the six plays that are being run, and they might know you know the six plays that are being run, but they're just going to try to execute that. And the one time you have a bust is when they're going to bust out mm-hmm. a 25-yard gain and flip field position on you. So I, I think for Nebraska, their front seven has to be very stout. I, I would look for more Damian Daniels in this game than you even saw against Troy. Uh, I think he really has played well in his two tests so far. Mike Dawson talked about him on Tuesday. They've been happy with him. Uh, Freedom has had a really nice first couple games. I mean, I mean, he doesn't have the sack numbers that some of those other guys do, but he's been among the more consistent defensive linemen for Dawson. He's been really happy with him. The Davis twins have been good. Ben Stilley has been good. I think if they can get good push out of the middle from Daniels or Stoltenberg or Newell, who's ever in, they can really cause some problems for a Michigan offensive line that hasn't been great by it's any in, stretch of the imagination. It's kind of interesting with this defense having to prepare for Michigan because, you know, Bear Root talked about it this week that, you know, it, it used to be that, you know, the spread offenses or up-tempo stuff would be what you wouldn't see week in and week out. But now with the way college football is – having to prepare for a team that huddles, uh, uses two tight ends, uses the bootleg, which you, you don't really see a true bootleg that often in college football anymore, that that's more of a, a difficult prep uh, than what it would be if they're playing some kind of spread team or, or even having to account for tempo. I, I'm curious to see if Nebraska's linebackers can be disciplined against this, against Michigan. Cause I, that play action. I think you saw against Troy that at times that aggression was maybe not a good thing um and and, you know I I think Michigan's going to try to exploit that a little bit if they can especially if they get moving the ball on the ground which they're going to try to do so it's going to be you know it's definitely going to be big boy football it's going to be a test though I think of of discipline for Nebraska that you know hasn't really been disciplined through two games this is a week you would say you need your big boy pants yeah you do need the big boy pants. Yeah, We're back to the big boy pants. Big boy pants are needed. It's one of my favorite Brunt's phrases. <laughs> do you have others? No, that's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do like it, though. It counts for a lot. Their tight end is a fascinating story to me because he's a former Texas quarterback commit that, like, within two weeks of getting the job, Harbaugh already had an offer out to him, brought him out to campus, they got him to commit, and then he, he basically shows up, and they're like, yeah, we had no intention of you ever playing quarterback. How do you feel about tight end? And he might end up being like an old Big Ten tight end yeah. this year. He's, he's big. He's like six seven. Is he the kid from um, New Mexico? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And Nebraska offered him. They did. And they offered him when Mike Riley got here. They were yeah. they were trying to get on that boat, too, but they actually would have used him as a quarterback, I yeah. think. Um, he is going to be somewhat of a matchup problem a little bit for Nebraska, I would think, because he's not he's not super fast, but he's got a big catch radius. He's willing to go over the middle, and they're going to use him in play-action situations where they try to get him on corner routes and in the flats, and you're right with that discipline. I'll be curious how they – if they put safeties on him, if Gifford or one of the other linebackers is in charge of covering him a lot. I mean – He's going to be kind of an interesting X factor, I think, on offense. And I, I think he's 
could be a real difference maker on Saturday. He's going to be the he's the new Jake Butt. I, and that's a program that does a really nice job of putting their tight ends in situations to have a bunch of success. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy was a great player. And, I mean, Gentry isn't as good, but I think he could be by the time he's done there. Would you guys be more surprised if we're covering a game that's up in the air with five minutes left or if it's a like a 24-28 point game? Which would surprise you more? The blowout. That would surprise you more? Yeah, because I, I'm leaning real hard on this being a low-scoring game. Yeah. But I just don't think you – know, well, the, the, the ways that it wouldn't be to me is if there's busts on, like, you know, an interception return for a touchdown or another special teams touchdown. But I, I don't look at either of these offenses going against either of these defenses and putting up 35 points on their own. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the number I think you'd need to make it a blowout. Yeah, I th- – I sort of think there's a lot of things that set up for, and I, this isn't rose-tinted glasses, I don't think. I, I just feel like Nebraska is going to go there and make this a fight. I, I just have a feeling. Um, and especially if – this is all, of course, contingent on Martinez playing and staying healthy throughout the game. Um, otherwise, I don't like Nebraska's chances at all. But if th- what makes it so fascinating is if Martinez is that – guy even for a few plays in this game that we saw against Colorado where he extends some plays and he just makes some things happen and you, he can pull two or three plays out of his hat like that Nebraska's got a shot then um I mean that that that's why this game I understand why people look at the spread they're like yeah Michigan will roll there's kind of that general feeling like of course Michigan's gonna pound them but I keep going back to, yeah, but this is kind of also like week two for the Adrian Martinez Nebraska team, and maybe maybe that team's closer than we think. I don't know. Yeah, it was interesting. Did you guys watch any of that Michigan-SMU game last week at all? Yeah, it was on in the press box as we were sitting there, and I elbowed you, and it was 0-0 going into the second quarter. Yeah, I, Michigan had some issues with covering the spread, um, and I, I think <clears throat> as long as Adrian Martinez plays – and I think as long as, like you said, he makes a, you know maybe five of those plays to, to where he extends, you know, there's kind of just the chaos and guys are running around. I, I think Nebraska can keep it close. I don't like you said, I don't think that Michigan's going to blow Nebraska out unless Nebraska really helps them with special teams, uh, you know, gives up a defensive touchdown, something like that. Because I, I just think that. I, I don't know what your guys' impression is, but it seemed to me that the team was still kind of red-assed about the way the last two weeks had gone. Like, I don't think that they're moping. I thought they were for that Troy game, and they didn't. They showed up flat. And some of that's not having your quarterback, sure. But yeah, I just – they played sloppy and uninspired. And, I mean, DeWitt even called him out for dogging it on that punt return for a touchdown. I mean, so it's – the part of me that thought that they would come out angry for that Troy game is the same part of me that thinks that they could show up in Michigan with that kind of fire, but until it actually happens, I mean, they've had such weird starts to games. Yeah. I mean, if they go out and give up 14 quick runs, it's going to get ugly in a hurry, but, and I don't, I don't think the Harbaugh would really take the foot off the gas either. Personally. I don't know if there's a, gas <laughs> yeah. it's just the foot yeah it's just he'll just, keep just gonna gear. do what they're gonna do yeah. whether you know regardless of who the opponent is i i think this is a big game for stanley morgan and jd spielman to prove that they're big 10 all big 10 caliber receivers 
Nebraska has to find ways to get them the ball. They have to win matchups against David Long and Ambry Thomas and some of these defensive backs that they're going to be going up against. They want to be upper echelon receivers. Nebraska wants them to be upper echelon weapons. Go do it. Like this is find ways to get the ball to J.D. Spielman before the second quarter. Find ways to get Stanley Morgan involved besides just four-yard routes or in the red zone. I mean, stretch the field. They did it against Colorado, and they didn't do it against Troy. And the biggest difference is Adrian Martinez in that equation. So if he's healthy and he's able to go down the field, I think that can really help you out too because then Michigan just can't sit around that line of scrimmage. And like you with that SMU, I mean, SMU was able to go down the field a little bit on them because they had to protect against some of those run-pass options and they had to protect against a lot. You get one-on-one on the outside, it just takes a guy to get loose a little. They, they I mean, Morgan and Spielman do need to step up, but they also need some help. I mean, oh, yeah, I, I don't mean to say that they haven't played well, but I just mean in these kinds of games, like sure. yeah. you need Stanley Morgan to be the stud that you want right. him to be. You need J.D. Spielman to be a difference maker. Right. Like, they just can't be, you know, four or five catches each, 60 to 70 yards, maybe one touchdown between them. That's not going to win you a game. Right. I mean, they also can't do that playing 60, 65 right. plays a game. I mean, I'm just looking at the wide receiver stats right now. Mike Williams has three catches. Tyjon Lindsay has one, and that's your that's your group. So, you know, the as much as the defense has been as advertised – is what they said during the fall. I think that wide receiver group has been pretty disappointing for the most part in terms of the depth that we haven't seen yet, the new guys that we haven't seen yet. Um, and, and, I mean, that's, to me, a big thing that's got to change offensively. Yeah, uh, they've got to block better on the edge, too. I mean, that killed them against Troy. Was There's a few plays where it was done well where Spielman got that first block and you saw what he could do then. And then there were a couple examples where – the guy didn't get the block. It could have been a 15-yard play instead it's a two-yard play. Or there was the two penalties on the same drive. You know, Andre Hunt gets one, and then Mike Williams gets one that takes away a touchdown. I thought that penalty was as big as any play in the game because Nebraska had actually climbed the mountain and was about to tie the game there. And then there's, like, this mental fatigue of, oh, they have to settle for three. They're still looking up at Troy. Yep. And – that I think that's been the biggest issue. It's a it's a big mental part of the way these games have started. It it's tiring, I think, for a team when you're just kind of the whole game trying to like catch up or expend all this energy. It's like you see in March Madness. Sometimes you'll see a team um, that's down 15 points and they'll rally at some point and maybe even tie the game or something. But they spent so much, they consumed so much of themselves trying to get there. That they they have can't that finish the job. yeah you can't you can't complete it and that's been the issue so far yeah I'm curious if they're able to I mean do you do you guys see a, them being able to jump out to a lead on Saturday like let's say they get the ball first and they get they go on offense any part of you think they could just drive down the field in the first drive yeah I think they did, it's they did against Colorado yeah until the fumble right, right yeah yeah. Well, it would also require Barrett Pickering to be better than he's been. That is one of the reasons I can't, I shouldn't, I mean, I don't think Nebraska can win this game in part because I just, their special teams have been so bad. Like, I just, I don't see how you go into a place like Ann Arbor, and even if your defense plays well and your offense plays fine, but, you know, if you give up a big punt return to Donovan Peoples-Jones or Barrett Pickering has to make a kick at the end of the half to put you up or to, to extend the lead, 
Like I just I don't have any confidence in their special teams at all. Bruce and, Reed's Bruce Reed's not here for you to kick around anymore. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's surprising. Like this is one of the things where it doesn't matter who the coaching staff is, like lack of effort and lack of execution falls on who's ever running it at that point in time. And I I mean I don't know if either of you were around uh, Javon DeWitt when he was talking about special teams the other day, but, I mean, he sounded like he was sort of at his wit's end trying to figure out why they were having some of these issues and when some of it was just straight effort. Like, he was pretty upset about the effort on that punt return for a touchdown. Like, that was a second quarter. Guys shouldn't be dogging it. It was a 3 nothing game. Cam Taylor's beating people back, and he was the first guy down that met the or missed the tackle. Like, that's not a good sign. There's certain themes that have fallen on Nebraska football over the past decade, and it's, it's, that's the fight for this staff to try to like overcome those. You know, the turnover thing has just always plagued Nebraska football, and and here's a staff that comes in that has great turnover numbers at UCF. I mean, won those almost every week, and in the first two weeks, it's, you know, minus four, minus whatever they are, minus three or minus four right now, but. Um, and then the special teams, same deal. This was a staff. Javon DeWitt had a very good year last year. With I mean, it helped that he had Mike Hughes, but they skull. did yes, yeah, skull indeed. But they did creative things too. And he's a very he's a very detailed guy with what he does. I remember doing a story with Javon DeWitt before spring ball even started, and I was really impressed by just how he talked about this this situation and that situation. So you know they're going over that stuff, and I have a lot of confidence that he's the guy, a guy who's smart enough to yeah. to get stuff done. But I think that's kind of why he's exasperated because he it's not like they haven't covered some of these things. It's just that you can talk about it till you're blue in the face yeah. if the guys aren't putting the effort that's needed to do it. Like that's concerning to him, and you could tell that. And the other part is you've got a true freshman kicker. You can't control that right. so much. I mean, you, that one guy's foot is deciding how people judge you. And, and we know all about kickers, don't we, Brian? Yeah, we do. And that's no way to live. <laughs> that is no way to live at all. Is this Vikings talk? Yeah. We, we oh, slipped. are you? He's back we, with us. My ears perked up. We you, didn't, you didn't look up when we did the whole skull thing. I don't know. Nothing. No. You don't know kicker pain like we do. That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get out of here, Brunt. I wasn't even it wasn't even pretending to empathize. <laughs> That's nice of you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Just getting ready to dump some salt. I don't want your false uh, falsehoods over there. All right. Anything else we want to cover from last week or looking into this week, game wise? Any other areas? The secondary we haven't really talked about a lot. They had their first interception. It looked like he didn't actually catch it to me, but. Uh, you know, that's... He made a nice recovery. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a great, great got, effort play at the beat, end of it. He got beat on the play and then made a nice recovery on kind of an underthrown ball, yeah. but... Uh, <laughs> it's funny how they're like, their their first turnover, or first takeaway, it's just it's like... And it just can't be simple for him, you know? It's always something difficult. I don't... I didn't have any doubt about this going into the year, but it's been confirmed. The best cornerback is DiCaprio Biddle yeah. on yeah, this team. Yeah, we've been talking him up for it's a not while. Not even close. So I, I would say everybody at Husker twenty four seven is not surprised by that. Yeah. We've, we've thought that all along. Do, were, were, but, we, were we wrong about the tight ends though? <laughs> I mean, the tight ends have been a little. Kerr Aftal's making one big catch a game. Yeah. What are you talking about? Just one. He's got. He's on like the Matt Harry. Look, he plan. extended a drive. Save. He extended two drives. Yeah, I just won a game, but, but still. it's a big one. 
I mean, what what ratio? Do you want him to have seven catches that don't matter? He's uh, <laughs> he's leading the leading the way right now. You know what Sean Becton said today, and I wasn't really prepared for this. He's he said Jack Stoll has done a really nice job blocking, and I've kind of thought it was average, and that's not, I I kind of expected some struggles there, but I'll. I'll concede to the coach on what he's seen a little bit on that. But he said in the Colorado game, if you look back at it, um, stole some of the biggest runs were with, with a Sealing stole block edge. that yeah. helped it. Hmm. And so, I mean, he's he's not discouraged by how they're blocking. I guess the other part of it is in a little bit of defense of those guys, the last game, no intermediate there was passing. no real chance yeah. for him to get involved just by the way they – they called the game kind of in the way that quarterback operated it. So we've only really seen again, like one game where we really can tell what they can do as receivers. Was yeah. Sean Becton a little incredulous when you, when he said that and you go, really? <laughs> I didn't do it. Really. <laughs> I, I always, I always, you know, I don't, you just, dial it down. I don't just take uh, like a coach for what he says and be like, Oh yeah, that's the absolute truth. But I am not all, also one of those guys who like thinks he, knows more than what the guy who's watched it all week. So, right, Well, Brunts, it sounds like we don't have to apologize for our tight end take if we don't want to. Yeah, that's what I'm getting okay. at. I'm Appreciate to, that. I'm trying to defend <laughs> I'm ourselves. hanging on to that stock. <laughs> Good. It I, might, got, I got a lot of tight end stock over it here. It might be worth something. That Austin Allen stock I'm hoping <laughs> to cash in on. You know where I'm at with that. Uh, all right. Any other positions that we haven't covered? Aaron Williams got his black shirt, which I thought was much deserved. His two games so far have been been very solid on the back end. I think their best safety combination is Williams, Aaron Williams, and Trey Neal right now, right? Like, that's not a – I'm not leaving anybody. Antonio Reed's been kind of hot and cold a little bit. Uh, Deontay Williams is finding his way through some stuff. They've got guys that they'll rotate in and out there, but I just think Trey Neal does a really nice job of being solid, and Aaron Williams, we know what we're getting from him, and – I think that he was deserving of, of picking up that black shirt. That basically covers most of the, the defense. And the only thing we really haven't gotten into is running backs, I guess. Which Maurice Washington was banged up a little bit Saturday, but he is He's good. good to go, right? He's good. He's been out there. Um, coaches aren't saying publicly what exactly his situation was, but um, he has been in uniform and practicing, so that's, that's encouraging. And I, I really – like I, I, I think there's not false advertising on him either. I don't think he's yet had that hole where he's had that chance to just say goodbye necessarily on a 60-yard run. Um, but I, the only beef I would have so far with him is he, he carries the ball a little loose. I think, and it worry it worries me every time he's like kind of flinging it out there. Do you want Ron Brown to come by and <laughs> take him to the school, the driving school of running? I. They might need to take a little peek at that. I also think rush hour traffic. Yeah, a little more rush hour traffic, a little less Sunday drive. That would be smart. I also think he sometimes tries to do, which a lot of young players do, that thing where you think you can take every play to the house, and then when you're better off getting four yards. And so, he, and Ryan Held said as much today. That's something he's probably got to improve on a little bit. Tell you what, though, there's times where he's getting met by three dudes in the backfield yeah. just getting four yards, just like taking it to the house. He had a run Saturday. He had a long run around the left side where it was well-blocked and well-designed that got about 20 yards. 
And then the next play, he got a one-yard run, which was actually much better than the 20-yard run. <laughs> because he had to make moves. Yeah, it should have been yeah. like a five-yard loss. I think was I that, even was that the joked? triple spin move? No. In the one play where he did like three spin Was moves. that the one where I joked if that run happened against BYU, people would be starting Heisman campaigns for him? I think so. Yeah. And I'll never forget it was an the, impressive, the BYU hype. It was an impressive uh, yeah. one-yard gain. I admire a good one-yard gain like that. Looking through the first couple games, actually, and something we can get into real quick because this has come up this week, and it does get to Nebraska's non-conference a little bit. Certainly, sounds like there will be a game on October twenty-seventh. There's going to be, FCS and we don't team. yet know the opponent, but it looks like it'll be an FCS team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nebraska will, of course, be home. I'll be curious how the tickets and everything get issued for that, or how that's all going to work, but. Good move, bad move on this? Good move, uh, especially with their record as it is right now. I, I mean, I don't think you fold the tents on still trying to make a bowl game at this point. And that stretch, as we were talking about at practice, is going to be pretty interesting after they play Wisconsin. Northwestern, they, they play Minnesota. Northwestern, Minnesota, FCS team probably to end October. And because they've left no margin for error now, it feels like they've got to figure it out by then and go three and zero in that stretch to you know, and hopefully throw a Purdue win or something on. What top if they of go three and zero over the Michigan, well, Purdue, and Wisconsin stretch? Never know, I guess. Then they can go zero and three on that next stretch and be fine. <laughs> wouldn't that be something? <laughs> no, no, that wouldn't be something. That would be bad. Losing to Bethune Cookman at home. Yeah, after you took down Wisconsin. That'd be a heck of a turnaround. Yeah. I'd like to have seen somebody predict that before. Talk about the whiplash. Yeah. Don't you think it's a good idea to play that game, though? I mean, yeah. You, oh, yeah. If you can find a team that you feel like, and I hate to say this about any team Nebraska plays that they can handle right now, but if you could have a day where you could get out comfortably, play some guys, get a win, it's, it's a good move. Yeah, I I haven't been one of the people that feels like it's necessary to have that buy before you play Ohio State. Obviously, you'd like to have some built-in rest into your season, but I think you can still do that with that game against an FCS team. Um, you know, we'll see who gets scheduled and how that goes. Nebraska switching gears did pick up a commitment this weekend, their second in season, and first of someone who has officially visited. Chris Hickman becomes the last of the in-state guys with offers to commit to Nebraska. He's a tight end joining the tight end room that Brunts is bitterly disappointed in. Maybe Chris Hickman can be the ray of hope that Nebraska needs in their getting of tight ends off the milk carton. I am holding all of his stock. (laughs) All of it. I'll sell you whatever Chris Hickman stock I have. You just want to load up. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing the long game here. Three years from now, you can really turn that into something. Yes. But uh, Hickman is – I watched him play earlier this year. He is a guy that I think is going to need to get into strength and conditioning program and really go to work. I mean, he's got a frame that he's got to put some weight on. He's got real skinny arms, uh, which, I mean, isn't a bad thing. But it's just if you want him to set the edge like a Jack Stoll, he's going to have to get bigger, and it's going to take some time for him to get there. But he can help you out in the – in the passing game, I think he's got good hands. I think he can run routes. I think he's someone that Nebraska was excited to keep in the state as opposed to maybe playing if he were to end up with a Big Ten team. So it was a good win. It's a good optics win for Nebraska. They sweep 
the in-state players and they can turn their attention towards the other part of their 2019 guys that are either preferred walk-ons or maybe late scholarship candidates and then start working towards 2020 where they've got some other people in the metro and elsewhere in the state that they're pretty interested in but that's probably the most interesting recruiting thing that has happened in the last week so they're at 17 now yes uh, number 23 i believe last check in the yeah. top 25 as of yesterday i think what's the, what's the number they're looking at like another eight or nine in this class get up to 25 yeah, the, it's interesting because I think there's a different number. There's obviously a different number for what that December period is going to be. I yeah. think, you know, we'll see where they end up around that and then however many. They could probably take, you know, 26, 27 total if they wanted to, but I don't know if they feel the need to just fill spots to fill them. So it's, it's going to kind of depend on who wants in and what becomes pressing need on – you know, December 1st, relative to what it is today here, September 19th. So it's, we'll see kind of how it plays out for them, but I, I, I would look for Nebraska to have no less than 24 commits in this class, but probably not more than 27. So how's that for a sitting on the fence answer that gives you both sides? It's comfortable up on that fence. I didn't mind it. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad this fence could support my weight, you know? You don't want to be the guy that breaks a fence. No. Got anything else? We, we covered everything. I know BC has something that he'd like to get to that's do very it? important. Do I? Socks yeah. or what? Millennials? Well, I mean, we can <laughs> – look, I don't think it was a great week for the Big Ten, so I don't know if you have any real sock takes. If you do, I'd love to hear them. Not really. I guess, I guess you would just say the conference as a whole is like what Birkenstocks with socks on. Crocs and socks. Gray Which socks. I, I do wear Crocs and socks yeah. sometimes. Yeah, no, you have Crocs. Yeah. Okay, we got to discuss this. Why? Why? <laughs> yeah. Why do you <laughs> what, have them? What led you to thinking I am comfortable enough in my life that I'm going to own a pair of? They're Crocs? They're not like Crocs, like you're thinking of them. I've worn them in front of you guys. They're they're not like the. I'm embarrassed for myself for not calling you out on this. And I'll, I'll wear them. Um, Next week with the L and R socks. So they're not like the big goofy rubber shoes or no, whatever. No, Crocs has made some other versions of things. <laughs> I bought them at DSW and they're like fifty bucks and they're very. Did you know they were Crocs when yeah. you bought them? Yeah. What? <laughs> I did. I missed that. Were you yeah. concerned about your street cred at the pro- at the time? No, I, I've worn them. In fact, to practice with. So they, socks. they look nothing like <laughs> the no- like. But you know what regular Crocs look like. Yes, Would I you do. ever wear those? No, probably not. So not now you I'm understand like the, the indignation that I have yeah. about this. If you saw these, though. Look, we brought you into the, the fold here thinking that you were a certain a type of person. Guy. And here I'm a Croc guy. Well, a partially Croc guy, apparently. Yeah, I think you would be okay with these Crocs and, in fact, maybe express some jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll see on that. <laughs> they're they're kind of worn, but I will uh, I'll bust them out, and you'll be like, oh yeah, I guess I've seen you in those. I didn't know yeah, those were. Can cars. you wear them for the Illinois game? Wear them with the sweater vest? Yeah, I could. Okay. <laughs> That's gonna be the bet for next year. Loser has to wear a pair of Crocs out of like the the rubber Crocs at an away game. Don't you ever wear out in public something like Croc and socks, and it feels a little liberating? Like you're on a Sunday afternoon, and you're it's just kind of like. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? This I is- have, like, no qualms <laughs> about I have the 
Nike slide style sandals. I have no qualms about wearing socks and sandals if I'm going to the grocery store or whatever to go get something. It doesn't bother me. You wear slippers to practice something. Oh yeah, yeah. They, well, they're more like moccasins. They're not. They're slippers. I mean, they they are, but <laughs> they look like moccasins. It's a it's a sign of the coming winter is when Schaefer shows up in jeans and and slippers at practice. <laughs> Didn't want to put regular shoes on. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I can't be giving you too much uh, hell for the How do you feel about uh, But I, I'll defend my moccasins slash slippers to the death. Okay. I actually need to get a new pair. They're pretty beat up. How do you feel about gray on gray sweats? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> no. Unless you're Rocky or a football coach or Rick Kaczynski. Rick Kaczynski. I mean, the whole <laughs> jumpsuit look doesn't look particularly great. Unless you're an AAU basketball coach or Jerry Spinelli. So. Occasionally at home, I'll bust out the uh, gray on grays. Really? Yeah. Wow. You feel like you're warming up for something. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're putting on when you're going to go mow the lawn in November? like a Gatorade towel tucked into the <laughs> Oh, show. my God. Tucked into it, too. I've definitely mowed on mowed in the gray on grays a few times. <laughs> like in June? <laughs> no, like on a... On a like working up a lather? <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> it becomes dark gray on gray. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's been like more of that kind of fall mow near the end where you got to get get one in and it's a little chilly and you're mowing over leaves. Yeah. That sort of thing. The leaves are already starting to fall. Mm-hmm. Is that what you want? No, wanted? no thoughts on leaves. They're, they're falling. <laughs> <laughs> you looked at me like that was the dumbest comment no, I, I made. It's that's an accurate. I was just I looked at you and was thinking in my head, I do have some leaves on my yard right now. Yeah. All right, uh, the millennials. Right? Oh yeah, you're gonna prod me on that. I think because you wanted. I I've been strong in saying that I'm. Well, I think you just wanted to make sure that you weren't tagged in a group. Well, what does the stem farm from? Yeah, as I'm trying here's, to remember. Here's what happened. I always assumed that I was not a millennial, and I'm not one of those okay. guys. I'm not one of those guys who like takes shots at millennials. So anyone that's of that age, I don't feel that like some people feel. But I'd rather so you're not kind to the millennial. <laughs> I'm kind, but I'd rather not be classified in that group. Also, and then I was looking. I was watching a story, and they're like millennials from. 1981 to such and such and i'm thinking i was born in 81 i'm so they're they're putting me in this group and i just think there are some clear cutoffs that came in the late 80s that were in my childhood that distanced me from that and that that's all well what are these cutoffs like you gotta state your case i would guess do you think most millennials although you're Wow, you're right in the middle of the millennial yep. pack. 87. And you remember, like, a the phone cord getting wrapped around the kitchen table. So yep. that that's not a good one. Um, but I always kind of thought of that as an example. Um, I think of, like, afternoon television or, like, shows that you grew up with and how it's different. Like, people, like, a little younger than me, what what you, what do you grow up with? Like, Rugrats and stuff or something? And Well, yeah, but, I mean, I guess when you talk afternoon television in, like, first and second grade, I was already watching Fresh Prince and Saved oh, by the geez, Bell. You're trying to destroy my argument. And Family Matters and all of that. I mean, yeah. that's what was on. Yeah. You didn't watch DuckTales, I bet, though. I mean, I did when I was a kid, and it was Saturday mornings. Oh. So, I, I didn't... I'm not trying to destroy your how, argument. How old here. were you when... Uh, when 9-11 occurred. 13. So you'd, 
you processed it. Yeah. Yeah. It. Uh, I was in the middle I'd say, school library I'd when say I heard about it. People who were like five to eight, nine in that group, and you couldn't really process it. See, I would say that's a big separating point. Like, if you, how you felt and processed nine eleven to me would be seem significant in the argument. I don't understand grouping people that were born in the 80s with grouping people born in the 90s in the same category of catch-all yeah. terms. Because to me, there's a very distinct difference in what you're... I mean, if you were born... And you said the you know, before the show, you said 96 was the one that they used, right? Well, I'll give you an example. If you were born in 96, at no point in your life was there no internet. Yeah. When I had to call for a date at UNL... <laughs> I, that sounded weird the way I said that. Who, who'd you call? What service did you use, <laughs> we Ryan? Need, we don't need to. We don't need to. Get, <laughs> these are these are. I was I was apparently doing it wrong. <laughs> <I didn't>, <laughs> <laughs> you just call. Yeah. No no no. There's like a hotline. I, I guess. had to look in the student directory. You, you're not making this sound less weird. By no, the way. you're no. There were girls in my. There were girls <laughs> in my class or like at the school newspaper. Okay. And I would see the name in the student directory and call the actual dorm phone mm-hmm. because no, we didn't have cell phones yet. Not most of us didn't. And so uh, I I remember I called a girl and asked for a, a date or like if she wanted to do something on her dorm phone. Yeah, I, to me, one of the delineations would Not be... Not a millennial. <laughs> there. <laughs> If you had to use pay phones ever, I mean, <laughs> yeah. to me, that's like not a, a millennial. Point. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that. Some of the others are escaping me right now that would, I would say are separators, but. You were pretty fired up, and then you. I, th- I thought you'd have a little bit more. You thought I had more ammunition? I was kind of not prepared. Like, I needed to come in with, like, a chart and, like, some things written down and. Some kind of pie chart, maybe a yeah. graph. Do you accept your designation as a millennial? Uh, I'm in that weird like middle space because I'm like between. I'm closer to his his side of it, but I mean, we I could use a cell phone to call somebody in college for a date, but I would only do it after nine o'clock because of the whole like nights and weekends yeah. thing. But um, I would mm-hmm. say no, but apparently I I am by about three years, so I don't know. I'll I'll accept whatever I am. It's fine. <laughs> He's been defeated <laughs> by someone who doesn't even identify. I don't identify think, I don't think most millennials grew up watching Silver Spoons after TV. I didn't. After school. Definitely, Definitely not. I didn't. Ricky Schroeder. Yeah, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 81. You can do the math. I know. Do you remember Small Wonder? No. No. Uh, a TV show where there's this girl robot named Vicky. There'll be some people on our thing that will remember Small Wonder. It was a bizarre little show. Tweet at Brian Christopherson at what's your what's your Twitter handle? Husker two four seven BC. Husker twenty four seven BC. If you remember these TV shows, he's yeah. talking about. You sure not? You're just not inventing them. Small Wonder. You can look it up, and you'll you'll be amused by. What it. are your three favorite '80s TV shows? They couldn't have extended into the '90s in any form. Like they could have been, you know, syndicated, but like. Filmed in the 80s. My 70s. family, my dad loved Cheers, so Cheers went into the 90s, so that doesn't count. Yeah. But we used to, I used to watch Cheers a lot. Silver Spoons was probably a show, like, in the 80s, I would say. Were you a Knight Rider guy? Uh, no, not really. 
A team. Did Mr. Belvedere? Did that go into? Oh, Mr. Belvedere would be a good show. <laughs> that actually that ended in 1990, July of 90, oh, 1990. Yeah, that would be a good one though. I don't, I don't even know. know what that show is. Mr. Belvedere. Uh huh. Bob Euchre was the star of it. And they had this British butler, Mr. Belvedere, and hilarious hijinks. Wasn't bad. Ensued. Was he? Was he the butler? Who? Euchre. No, he was like the the owner of the home. Huh. I would say Family Ties would be a show that would be '80s that would apply with Michael with, J. Fox. Yep. Yep. Were you a big Michael J. Fox guy? Yeah. He kind of that was a big decade for him. Oh, he was he was the man back then. Teen Wolf. You a big Teen Wolf guy? Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. So I'd say Family Ties, Silver Spoons. Step by Step? Oh. No. <laughs> family, family Matters went in the 90s. Yep. I can't claim that. I don't know. I mean, you, you, Alf? You can claim whatever you, you remember want. Remember Alf? Yeah, I do remember Alf. Yeah. I watched Alf <laughs> when I was a kid. Magna P.I., that was a oh, yeah. strictly 80s show. MacGyver's an 80s show, right? Uh, I think that went in the 90s. Did it? Yeah. Did it last that long? Mm-hmm. I like Magnum P.I. It's funny the things that resonate Hawaii with you when you're a kid. Remember Tom Selk wore the Detroit Tigers hat? And like stupid little stuff like that kind of sticks with you as a as a youth. You should wear a Hawaiian shirt to the Tigers game this weekend. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> Work on a mustache. Yeah. Let that chest hair flow. Do you wanna do you wanna point out why you think that BC looks a little like Steve Bartman? <laughs> I have to apologize to you publicly for that text message yesterday. Uh, there was a <laughs> there was a Steve Bartman situation in an Oakland A's game, and I went down the Steve Bartman rabbit hole. And there's one angle of Steve Bartman. It's like very grainy. I think I showed it to you today. Or did I show? No. Or did I not? No. There's one angle where the, his hat's kind of pulled down. He's got the glasses on, turtlenecks all the way up, and it's blurry enough that I actually I, I texted you in the group text and you said, did. you know, has anybody ever told you you kind of look like Steve Bartman? And then you didn't respond. So he thought he he thought he'd upset. Me. Yeah, I thought I'd upset him. <laughs> so then I texted it to Schaefer by himself and said, "Am I wrong here?" <laughs> I was. I, I said I could see it. Let me look. Yeah, yeah, there's some truth. <laughs> I'll go with it. There's a little truth. Okay. Only that one. Like, from the side, not at all. But It's, it's fine. Is, is the most offensive part that it's Steve Bartman or that you'd be considered to be a Cubs fan? <laughs> um, I don't know. Probably, probably uh, the latter, I guess. Or that you'd be the kind of guy that would reach over the railing? To... I would never reach over the railing. Never. And if you haven't seen that play from the A's Angels oh, game, still mad. that is one of the more ridiculous, like into the the game reaches I think I've seen. She almost while. fell out of the seat. <laughs> the, the second side story you told about that was pretty great. Yeah, we'll leave that one off the air though. Um, <laughs> anything else we need to get done before we? No, we're over an I, hour. I think we, 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 we went an hour. Yes. Good lord. All the Mr. Belvedere we let BC talk too much. Yeah, that's what it was. I wasn't prepared to be succinct with the millennial. <laughs> All right, well, maybe Nebraska will stick around for an hour against Michigan on Saturday. <laughs> there you go. And you should stick around for the hype cast on Friday, which will certainly be much less than this. We'll shoot for 15 minutes instead yes. of mm-hmm. 100 minutes. No, 
<laughs> 60, 60, 60 minutes. 60 minutes. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, all right, I got to get out of here. Uh, go check out the site, Husker247.com. It's got plenty of stuff on it, plenty of things to read. And we will be back next week with another full podcast for Purdue Week. <laughs>